Good evening, everyone who is here and those of you tuning in, watching from home, and it's a delight to have you here. Uh, my name is Jack, if we haven't met yet, but glad uh, to have you being with us, either it's from your living room or here in the house. And so I want to invite you to a couple different things. If you are new, uh, go ahead and download our free app. We would love for you to kind of go to your app store, type in Element City Church, and that's a way that you can connect with us. We travel light, kind of go everywhere. There's lots of different things that you can check on there. Tonight at the end, I'm going to walk you through how you can do a simple invite text to someone for Easter next week. So we'd love for you to do that. Carol is our online host tonight, so you can wave and say hi to Carol. And uh, if you're online, she'd love to pray with you or interact with you in any of that. We are doing communion tonight, so if you are at home, you have plenty of time now to go figure out different elements that you could do with that. I have done that with Dr. Pepper and a goldfish cracker. So whatever you have at your house, here in the house, we're going to invite you uh, as we get ready to sing here in a moment. In the balcony, there's a table. Table, and there's two tables straight back here that have communion, that you can grab those elements and have that ready for you and with you as we kind of wrap up the sermon. We'll have a space in a moment for that. So again, thanks for tuning in. If you are new, uh, we would love for you to fill out our connection card on our app, or if you're online right now, just the top right button. Uh, we'll get that clicked out. And if you're here and you are brand new, I'm going to tell you, for our first-time guests, we've got the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon uh, just for you if you're brand new. And so if you are new, I would love to invite you to meet me at the 10-minute party. You are not new. You don't get this. Okay, so if you are new, I'd love to invite you back to the 10-minute party right after the service. I'd love the honor of just meeting you. You get this, and you get some other free stuff. And we'd love just to say thanks for spending your time with us. If you're online, uh, maybe send me your address, and I'll send you a kernel, and that's how you get it. But otherwise, you can show up next week and get some kettle corn for that. So uh, I would love to pray with you, the Church of the Week, every single week, and we would love to pray for Abiding Savior Lutheran Church, Pastor Cindy, who uh, pastors that church, and we would love to pray for her, her staff, her team. And as we enter into Holy Week, uh, this is Palm Sunday. We celebrate Jesus' coming and the reason he came to bring uh, peace to us and to God himself. And so we are grateful to gather together in this. And I just want to invite you, uh, this week, there are tons of different reading plans on YouVersion Bible app that are free that you can download and maybe make this part of your experience uh, going through Holy Week as we make our way to our Easter celebration next Sunday at 5 o'clock right here. And as you invite maybe a friend to tune in with you online or to be in the house with you. So uh, Luke chapter 22, 23, 24, kind of walk through the last week of Jesus' life. That's a great place to go. Reading plan if you want one of those. Uh, or there's little booklets on the table uh, at the uh, communion tables that you could take one of those. Uh, and that can help you engage with this week. So would you stand if you're here in the house, if you're at home, Scouts Honor, whatever you do. Um, and uh, let's pray for the Church of the Week and for our night tonight. And so, Father, we pause tonight as we begin. We are so grateful, so grateful, Jesus for you and for who you are and what you represent, the hope that we have, all hinges on you. And you came to us. You didn't make us try to make our way to you. You came and you rode in proclaiming your truth. And things didn't play out maybe the way that we thought they would play out, but exactly how you wanted them to play out. Because we needed way more than just a conquering king. We needed a savior 
a rescuer. And that's who you are. And that's what we remember. It's what we sing about here in a moment. It's what we'll look into as we wrap up our series in the prodigal. And tonight we pray for Pastor Cindy and Abiding Saving Lutheran. Uh, we ask your blessing over their church, their leadership there. Would you continue to expand their scope and their reach? We thank you for them being a church that champions Christ. And we pray for your church across our city to flourish and to have kingdom impact in changing lives of people. Father, we pray even ahead with expectation of those that we might invite for Easter next Sunday, that they would say yes this week to tune in or to be a part of coming and experiencing your hope. God, our world needs more and more of your hope, Jesus. And so as we lean in and sing to you and sing about you, would our heart's attention and affection be in your direction tonight? And would you mingle in our midst and would you be present in a way that encourages us and stirs our hearts afresh and anew? And everyone said, amen. to take the 
Father again and again and again 
Father God, as we rest in this moment, you are dwelling within us, Father. You are stirring. Father, may we set our sails tonight. We set our sails towards you, the Father who is running towards us. And man, sometimes it's so hard. It's so, it's so easy for us to turn our backs. Maybe head to this or head to that. But when it all comes down to it, no matter where we've been, what we've done, mistakes we've made, successes that we've had, when we open our eyes, we're going to have a Father that's coming towards us, embraces us, holds us, a father who died for us. Lord, we're reminded of that truth tonight. May we rest in that truth. We trust you. You are so worthy of our praise, Lord. May we grow and grow a little bit more like your son tonight, tomorrow. Maybe Tuesday, maybe we look a little bit more like Jesus. God, that's what we want. That's what we're about. So I pray that you would give Pastor Jack the words, your words to share with us tonight, that you would, you would dwell amongst us, that you would push, pull, pinch your way, that you would have our attention and that we would move towards you. We love you. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your presence and to be offered your love. 
be with us tonight. We love you. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Amen. It's good to worship together. Uh, and again, if you're tuning in from online uh, or here in the house, we are doing communion at the end of the sermon. So back there's two tables back here, and you will want to get one of what we affectionately call the Lunchable Communion, because it's all in one thing. Um, and so you'll want to get one of those in the balcony. There's some up there. So feel free to, to join us in that. Join us with that at home as well, getting some elements together. Uh, as we continue and kind of end up our series on the prodigal uh, in Luke 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. If you can open up the, the app and go down to sermon notes, you can follow along there as well. But tonight, it, we really want to look and kind of circle back one last time an aerial view, kind of an understanding of the whole parable again, and then also the, the kind of the premise of the, the heart, the compassionate core of the Father that we see in this story. How many of you would say, okay, you have experienced someone, whether it's God or someone else, God used someone else to, to express compassion to you. You've been the receiver of compassion. You would say, yes, I've received compassion. So maybe you've been a person that's give, you know, has given compassion to someone else. The reality is we know it when we see it, right? Uh, we can watch movies. We can watch uh, shows. We can watch TV stories. And, and when we see it on display, it's something that kind of, if you're like me at all, I'm the crier of the family. And so, like, it just kind of wells up tears in your eyes, and it kind of stirs you. And my family sometimes will go, why, why do you cry at everything? And I'm like, why is your heart a stone? Just like, you know, and all this stuff. And, and, like, so this idea that you, you stir up, compassion stirs us up. And we also know when compassion is absent, Right? When you're looking into a moment, into a scenario, into a situation, and like what you're hoping for is for it to be there, and yet it's not. It's kind of like the priest and the doctor and the engineer who were out playing golf. They were stuck waiting an unbearable amount of time behind this one group that was in front of them. And the engineer said, what's with these guys? Must have been waiting at least 20 minutes or so. The doctor said, I've never waited this long behind a group. And the priest said, listen, I, I don't know. In fact, here comes George. He's, you know, one of the groundskeepers. I'll just ask if he kind of knows what's going on. Hey, George, what's going on with this group ahead of us? And George got out of the cart, walked over slowly to them, took off his hat. Deep breath said, fellas, that's a group of blind firefighters. They lost their sight actually saving our clubhouse here at the golf course last year in a fire. You remember that big fire. So we kind of always let them just pray, you know, kind of play for free anytime. The priest and the doctor and the engineer grew silent for a moment. Priest sympathized. That's really sad. I, I, I'm going to say a special prayer for them. The doctor added, that's a great idea. I think maybe I'll reach out to my contact with uh, you know, just the eye doctor friend buddy that I have, see if there's anything we could do for them. The engineer spoke up. Well, that's great. But in the meantime, can they just play at night? It's been a long time since I've opened with a cheesy joke, so I figured I'd take a risk. Um, apparently, it was 50-50. Um, so... We know when compassion is absent. Like in that moment, okay, it's a joke. But like you would go, that's so in uncompassionate, right? Like, and there's moments of like that for your life. There's probably been moments where deep down, if you were really honest, it was just you and I at coffee and you could really share kind of your soul. There would be moments where you were dying inside 
for someone to show compassion to you, and yet it was absent in that moment, and it wrecked you. And maybe, if we're really honest, maybe there's been moments where someone else that you were in conversation with, they, you knew they really could use some compassion, and yet it was absent from you in that moment. See, the reality is compassion always has a cost. Do you know that? Real life, like real time, compassion always will cost you something. And often, we don't like the inconvenience of the cost or the high stakes of the cost. And so we kind of diverge around it. We kind of don't look into it. And yet, what we see on display in the heart of the Father in Luke 15 is one who's willing to pay the cost. And so remember, Luke 15 is this story after story after story, three stories in a row. We don't see it very often in the gospel accounts of Jesus telling so many parables that he told, and yet we see it on display here. And what you have to understand from a macro level, looking at Luke 15 is a pretty powerful thing. It's actually, maybe if you can almost label it as as parables of the extreme in one way. Here you have the, the first one, remember the shepherd who leaves the 99 in search of the one. Like, that seems extreme at first reading. Like, why would you kind of, like, that's a horrible way to have a batting average, right? Like, you would take the 99. You lost one. It's okay. Not a big deal. But no, that, that shepherd, whether he, he raised that lamb from, from being so young, and now that one's the wander, that's wandered off, and he has to go find this one. And then when he finds it, he actually invests the time and energy to call other people together and says, we're going to throw a party to celebrate this one that was lost and is now found. Or the woman who lost one of the coins. Some scholars would say, okay, that's part of the, the kind of her bridal gift and was actually something that would be a fortune that she would use in the future if her husband were to pass away. And so it's kind of this fortune that's out for her and she's lost one of the coins and so she sweeps the house from corner to corner, edge to edge and searching all over like this frantic search to find it. And when she does, she calls her friends and her neighbors over to celebrate that she has found what she has been looking for. In fact, what we read in these parables that Jesus is telling these stories for a purpose. He's a great storyteller, but he's a teacher. And he's wanting people to see. Remember in verse 7 and verse 10, here's what it says at the end of the, uh, the, the shepherd one, the, the lost sheep. I say that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who no need to repent. Or verse 10, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's like Jesus is is bent on highlighting the joy of heaven for those that are found. That being found and this joy that it generates is the serious business of heaven. And so we're reminded that these are stories that are bigger than just stories, bigger than just the story of a lost sheep or a lost coin, but they show the celebration of heaven for when a sinner comes home and is reunited with the Father who is compassionate and searching for them. That's the whole point behind this, this parable of the prodigal son that he launches in the third one. We so often get stuck on the prodigal son because, remember, prodigal, if you look it up, is is reckless spendthrift. 
this extravagant uh, spending, if you will, and, and we get caught up in seeing, okay, it's the train wreck of the son who grabbed the track shoes and took off running and wasted everything of the inheritance that was gifted to him, and, and we think, okay, that's got to be the focus, and, and it is a focus, but there's another son also, and if we get stuck, sometimes we can think the story is about the sons, but remember, Jesus is telling a story and telling a truth, and he's teaching something here. In fact, the real character of the story is the father. He's the one that Jesus' focus is on. He's trying to describe, you want to know what your heavenly father's really like? He's like this. And he begins to kind of camp and drill into this idea of you want to know who's really prodigal, who's really extravagant and reckless, with their love, it's the Father. It's the compassionate core of who he is and everything he does is driven by it. Remember, verse 1 and verse 2 is what's set up for this entire chapter. This entire chapter is chalked full of so much, but it really begins with the tension that's been building in verse 1 and 2. As the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the teachers of the day were saying to Jesus, and they had one perspective of here's who's in with God and here's who's out with God. And those who obey and, and live this kind of righteous life, who work really hard, those are the ones that God must love and adore and cherish. And those who are nothing like that, well, remember verse 1? Why, why do you eat with them? Like, they're spiritual zeros, Jesus. Why why are you eating with them? See, the sinners and the tax collectors, those who were on the outs, they were the ones who were flocking to Jesus. And the teachers of the law and religious leaders were saying, no, no, you've got it all wrong. Your investment is wrong. They're not the ones who have God's attention. We are. And I think Jesus is actually, through these three stories, trying to introduce a new paradigm of understanding that maybe the spiritually lost in the world of the day of the first century and the spiritually lost today are the same. You ever been to skate country? If you've been to skate country, uh, there's a song that will come on and they'll say, this is an all skate, right? It's into this reality that everyone who's there is invited onto the floor. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. See, you think it's the good people who are in and it's the bad people who are out. I'm here to tell you, everybody's out. Like, it's an all skate. And everybody's lost. Some recognize it, they come to their senses at one point. Others are so lost, they're lost, lost, lost. And they haven't discovered the real truth. I think that's what Jesus is introducing. What Jesus is beginning to say is, listen, it's not about what you do. The climax of this whole story is he's introducing a new understanding of what spiritual lostness is. This whole story, it's a father who has two sons. Jesus is a brilliant storyteller. And he's helping us understand, okay, here's the one son who grabs the track shoes and takes off, and it's a train wreck kind of life. And everybody can look at that and go, that's a mess. 
And, and yet there's one who grabs their work boots and works in the fields and works really, really hard. And he would be maybe labeled the good son. But the reality is he is maybe in proximity with the father, but he is alienated from the father just like his brother. Both have missed out on the heart of the father. They're both lost, alienated from him. And neither has a relationship with the father. They're just going about different ways to try to get the father's things. I want the estate. Give it to me. I'm going to run. I want the estate. I'm going to work really hard. And I'll be around, but I'm not with. And here's what we know to be true. There is a drastic relational difference from being around somebody and being with somebody. There's a great distance between that, even though proximity might be really close. And the elder brother refuses to go into the party. In fact, he, the father has to go out to him, the same as he goes out to the younger brother. He goes out, and the older brother kind of humiliates him, argues with him. What does he really care about? What's bothered him the most is that the father has wasted his things on the wayward brother, that he's thrown this party. He's upset that the fattened calf is being used for a village party. In fact, it probably is the most extravagant party this father has ever thrown or might ever throw. And the elder brother refuses to go in. He's angry. I'm the one who's worked really hard. I'm the one, I'm upset with you. He's upset with the father's things that he doesn't care about the father's heart is celebrating the lost who has been found, the dead who has now come home. One son is, looks really, really bad. It's a train wreck. We could tell that. And yet one it looks really, really religious and yet still is an internal train wreck. Maybe you can't see it at first pass, but they're both alienated from the father. The fact the father literally has to go out to both sons. The father runs to the one who has come to his senses and begin to come home in the direction of, kind of in the trajectory of the father, but really just wants to be uh, kind of a slave in the house, and on the estate, not even in the home, and yet the father says, no, no, I love you, you are my son. Take off the track shoes, here's the sandals of sonship. And then the father has to go out to the elder brother, who's close, but is missing out on the very party. Missing out and celebrating with the heart of the father. If being genuinely connected with the father, he goes out to him and he pleads with him, my son, my son. In Greek, it's literally this word technon, which means my child. It's very tender. It's very compassionate. It's pleading with him to not be angry but to lower and let go of his pride and to enter into the feast of the Father. My child, you've always been with me. I know and I appreciate your hard work. He's being tender to him. But come in, humble yourself. Get rid of your anger. What is Jesus showing? Both sons are lost. Both sons are alienated. In relationship to the father, he's making a point. The bad kid in this story, quote unquote, is the one who actually gets saved. Because he comes to his senses and realizes, I've got to run the song we just sang. 
I got to run to the Father. And I don't even have it all figured out, but the Father actually runs to me and he figures it out. And he blows my expectations. And yet the elder one, the good boy is not lost despite his goodness, but because of it. Because it's all about him. What he's saying, standing outside of the father's feast, is that he's furious at the father. Why is he alienated from him? Do you want to know why? I have never disobeyed you. Which basically means because I've been good, because I've worked so hard, you should do things my way. And you're not doing them my way. So therefore, I refuse to come in. That's the stance of self-righteousness. I think it should be this way, God. So you better fix it. And the father says, no, no, son. This is above your pay grade. I've got a plan here. I want you to come in. Would you, would you let go of that self-righteousness? Would you let go of that anger? I have a feast I want you to be a part of. For the one son who's so broken, that's an easy invitation to say, I didn't expect to get invited. But yeah, I'll come in. To the other one who's worked so hard, who expected to be invited. And now the father's pleading with a heart of compassion, won't you come in? And he's digging in his heels. See, the Bible says that you can either look to Jesus as your savior, or you can look to something else. There really is no third choice. You can either be your own savior or attempt to do that, or you can look to Jesus. What's fascinating is Jesus is pleading with the religious leaders and teachers of the day, the very ones who have the issue. He says, let me tell you a story. In fact, let me tell you three. And he begins to plead with them, just like the father, won't you come here? Won't you drop the rocks? Uh, won't you let aside your anger and your self-righteousness? I just want you to be a part of the feast. Won't you come in? You're invited in. And the story ends with kind of that dot, dot, dot. We don't fully know. Jesus is really telling the story, so he, he knows. These are the very people that as we enter into Holy Week, that uh, uh, kind of a few days from now as we celebrate what we call Good Friday. It was not a Good Friday for Jesus. These are the very leaders of the day who are going to crucify him. And yet Jesus in this story is still pleading from a heart of compassion. Won't you come in? See, <clears throat> you don't have nice people and then lost people. You don't have good people and then lost people. We are all lost the good people are lost, the bad people are lost, and God sent Jesus, remember, to seek and to save the lost. It's an all state. And we all need grace. And we all need the invitation of a compassionate core of the Father who says, you're lost. You may be working really, really hard, but it's a treadmill and it's taking you nowhere. Or you ran really far away, and how'd that work out for you? Not very good. I just want to invite you in. My heart is for you. See, it's for people who know and recognize that they're lost. The people who think they're not lost, well, they're lost, lost, lost. Until you come to the realization 
that you need a Savior. Remember how Paul said it, Romans 5? While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Period. It's an offscape. We all needed his salvation. And what we remember on Easter is that the cross says to you and says to me, you are messed up. You are so lost. You are so hopeless. Nothing less than the sacrifice of the Son of God can save you. And yet, at the same time, Jesus says from the cross, I'm glad to do it. You need me. And I'm glad. In fact, I've come here for you. I've come here for you. He embraces the humiliation of the cross, and yet with, great, uh, with a great echo, he, he has this affirmation over you and over me. And when we see that juxtaposed, we, we understand that it's humiliation and affirmation at the same time. He embraces our humiliation. The one that was meant for us, he takes on. And yet he gives this incredible affirmation to say you're worth it. And when you understand that, when you finally get overwhelmed by that reality, then you come to a place where you can say, I need you. I need you. I need your forgiveness. It's amazing. Here's what Timothy Keller writes in his book, Prodigal God, speaking of that it's really the heart of the father that's prodigal, that's extravagant in this. He says, mercy and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. If the wrongdoer has to do something to merit it, then it isn't mercy. But forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one who is granting the forgiveness. The reason we have the hope we have in Jesus is that he became poor for you so that you may be rich in grace from him. That he's the one, that it cost him everything to pursue you and pursue me. And yet it was a price he was willing to pay. I do this for you. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, of which Jack is one of them. It's the realization that I can't work my way there. and My work boots are not big enough. And I can't run too far away from his echo and his call. Won't you come in? I'm here for you. See, compassion has a cost to it, but the return on that investment is priceless. That's the beauty, what we see in the compassionate heart of the Father. So a couple last takeaways from this whole series and this whole understanding of the prodigal son, of this Luke 15, these stories that Jesus tells. Uh, the first one is this. You cannot reach people that you do not love or have compassion for. You cannot reach people that you do not have compassion for or a love for. Jesus was tagged one time. In the gospel account of Matthew chapter 11, you can read it, Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Are you? Am I? That was a tag, a badge of honor that Jesus wore. Why? Because he loved people. Even people who were far from him. Or even people who were nothing like him. And even, amazingly, the people who were nothing like him actually liked him. Can that be said of your life and of mine? Can that be said of me? Or, or do I posture myself in times digging my heels in? No, no, no. You got this wrong, God. 
you're not doing it my way. These people don't deserve. I'm the one who deserves. And I think Jesus would say in that moment, whoa, 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 whoa. It's an all-escape. And you got here by my invitation. Don't forget that. Don't lose sight of that. There was a song called uh, When God Ran. It's the lyrics talk about this prodigal son's story. It's taken from the son's perspective. He writes, the only time, coming to the lyrics say, the only time I've ever saw him run was when he ran to me. And he took me in his arms. He held my head to his chest and said, my sons, come home. He lifted my face and wiped my tears. With forgiveness in his voice, he said, son, do you know I still love you? It's this declaration of the father over the son who has run to say, no, no, you want to come back as a slave. I want you back as a son. And I want us to connect relationally. Don't be alienated. I want to welcome you in. And so the father never took his eyes off the horizon. He searches for him. And we are not just called to, call, to come home. We are called to become like the father. That's the heart that Jesus wants to create and curate within you, within me. That that will have a cost to it. Because compassion always has a cost to it. But the investment of that has a, a priceless return on it. The heart of the father is the one that's revealing the compassion of God, our Heavenly Father. That has this incredible compassion that's approachable, uh, that we can approach the throne of grace, Hebrews talks about, to receive the grace we need in the moment that we're in, that God is approachable. I'm reading a book called Gentle and, and Lowly by Dane Ortland. He says this, speaking of Jesus, for all of his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and altogether otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No one's ever been more approachable. He was moved by compassion, and it made him approachable that even those who were nothing like him liked him and were moving in his direction. That's how this whole chapter starts, the tension that that created. Maybe a great question to wrestle with is, as we are maybe followers of Jesus trying to grow in our maturity of being an apprentice of Jesus. Maybe here's one of the best questions you can ask yourself. Are you becoming more approachable or less? Are you becoming more approachable or less? Maybe it isn't based on how many memory verses you can memorize or how many oftentimes you go to church. Listen, those are important things because they help anchor you. But if you're becoming less approachable, heads up, heads up, that you're not reflecting the heart of the Father. And that's what Jesus is driving to here. He wants the sons, the wayward sons, and the ones who are stuck on this religious treadmill to let go, to realize, hey, you're both lost, you're both alienated, but I'm inviting you in. That's what Jesus is saying. And would you let go? Maybe the third thing is a heart like the Father's is one that is willing to be inconvenienced so that others may be brought closer or back to God. The heart of the Father is willing to be inconvenienced are you? Am I? And see, so often in our spiritual journey, we want to pursue after Jesus. And that's an awesome thing. Go for it. 
Jesus said, those who lose their life will find it. Compassion has a cost. Always does. Always will. The return is priceless. And that you get to be part of a, as a person reflecting reflecting more and more the heart of the Father to the people that he cares about, the people that are far away, and the people that are stuck in a really close orbit, but they're still missing it. That you get to be a part of wooing them home. Man. There's nothing like that. But it will cost you. It'll cost you time, energy. Sure, we can throw money at things, and, and that's a necessary thing. But it's more than that. Here's what I want for you. I want you to want the heart of the Father. I want you to want the heart of the Father. Do you want that? Because that's where the amazing journey of following Jesus is found. That's where the joy kind of bubbles up. It is sacrifice, yes. But the joy that you get to experience with the heart of the Father welcoming people home, those who are far away and those who are maybe in orbit who are missing it and then they get to come in, there is no greater joy than that. And so as we remember that that's what Jesus went about this week, that's what he went about, saying, I'm going to put the heart of the Father on display for all to see. There will be no way you can miss it. You want to know what the heart of the Father is really like? It's one who's willing to give up everything. Why? Because he's prodigal. He's reckless. He's extravagant in his spending. The spending of his love. This story shows us. I love Keller's quote. I'll wrap up with this. In this story, the Father represents the Heavenly Father Jesus knew so well. The Apostle Paul writes that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not reckoning their trespasses against them. Jesus is showing us the God of great expenditure, who is nothing but prodigal toward us, his kids. God's reckless grace is our greatest hope, and it's our life-changing experience. That's what we get to have. And so we remember his sacrifice, his life, his death, his resurrection. That's what we're moving into in Holy Week. And again, just invites you to maybe take Luke 22, 23, 24. Read through that this week as you prepare for Easter and our Easter celebration. There's booklets again in the back by the communion tables that you could take one of those and use that as a devotional this week. There's tons of plans on version that you could get for free right on your phone. I invite you to kind of enter into this radical, reckless love of the Father for you, that his compassion spilled over for you, that you might be welcomed in. And so we come to the table tonight, not because we earned our way there, but because the Father said, hey, I got a space for you. Won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you be a part of my feast, the feast of salvation that says, I made a way for you to have a right relationship with me, not because you had to work for it, but because I actually came in search for you. You were the lost sheep, and I came for you. You were the lost coin, and I found you. 
You are the lost sons. And I waited and I watched and I tried to welcome you in. And so he made room. And so if you have your communion at home or here in the room, I'm just going to create space here. We're going to invite the, the team to come back up. We're going to end with a worship song tonight. Uh, if you don't have one of these, you can just kind of raise up your hand a little bit. We've got someone that will kind of bring that around to you. And so if you need that, it, it is kind of right there behind you. If you need one, just kind of hold your hand up. Uh, there's some in the balcony there too. <clears throat> I know sometimes it's a little bit of a struggle, but the top layer is kind of that cellophane and that gets to the cracker. And we remember as we hold this cracker that it's representing Jesus' body, which was given for you and for me. And so as you're ready, uh, you feel free maybe just to take a moment uh, of prayer, of gratitude, of thanksgiving for what Jesus did for you. The fact that you were the lost one and he came and found you. He invited you to this table. He made a way for that to happen for you. And so when you're ready, you can take that cracker. You can peel open the next layer and remember that it was his blood that was sacrificed and given on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, your brokenness that made a way for us to have right relationship with him. Again, not because of our efforts, but because of what he did. And so you can drink that juice when you're ready, but take a moment to pray. Think about that. And then I'll close this in prayer in a second. Jesus, we pause as we enter into Holy Week here. We anticipate with great excitement the celebration of Easter that will be next Sunday. But we know and we remember that it was a long road from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. So many things that unfolded that you had to endure. but for the joy set before you. You endured it because you said we're worth it. That kind of love is a crazy kind of love. May we be overwhelmed again by the extraordinary grace and compassion that Jesus, you put on display the heart of the Father, the compassionate core of who he is, you put on display. And you called us to the table and you called us home into the feast of salvation. Your resurrection proves that it's real, true. And the invitation now is for us to have that core of compassion curated within our hearts that we might reflect the heart of the Father also. God, compassion has a cost to it. But it comes with a, an unexplainable, unending kind of joy and hope and security that 
never ends, no matter the circumstances around. And so we celebrate, we sing into the song, we ask that you would stir our hearts afresh and anew as we worship you. As we linger in this holy week, would you help us to see you and be surprised again by your attention, your affection, your compassion, we pray.
week you have the opportunity to not just hail in a song, but to reflect and remember that a Savior came for you. Because the heart of the Father is filled with compassion and moves in your direction. May that never grow old. And may it stir in you a desire, a want to, to hold to that and then to let that go and invite others to be welcomed home, to be invited in. And so I want to show you real practically, real tangibly, how you can do that. And so on the screen, you're going to see a picture. This is like, we just did this. Uh, Here's the app, right? You just open it up. You go down to the bottom middle, it says events. You're going to get to this. You're going to see Easter at Elements. You click that. And then in the top right button, there's a little square with an arrow. And now I can text it to any one of you I want. You can text it to a friend. Just say, hey, you know what? My church matters to me. And Easter is like the big deal. Like it's the Super Bowl Sunday. Um, of my faith, and I would love for you just to kind of experience it. In fact, you don't even have to leave your house. You can just tune in, sit on the couch. But just what if maybe God, how he's got a hold of me, maybe he has something good for you too. And would you join me or would you come with me? Um, and make this a chance, an opportunity to invite somebody. Uh, the, the following series that we're going to start, is going to be like an eight-week series, all looking at... Uh, the good life. Jesus did a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about here's what it means to experience true happiness. I know a lot of people looking for happiness. What if Jesus had a clue on what that might be? And we're going to spend some time looking at that following Easter. So it's a chance for you to invite, uh, to be a part of that. Uh, So use that app maybe to invite someone, be praying about who you could invite. Uh, with that. So uh, again, if you're new here, um, we would love to, to just personally connect with you. And I've got free popcorn. Free. I'm not kidding. It's free. Um, and so if you are new, this is your first time here, I'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party. Uh, we have this just for you. And if you are kind of been around here for a while, uh, maybe I'll buy you popcorn someday, but not tonight. Uh, so <clears throat> meet me at the 10-minute party. I just want to leave you with a blessing. May May the heart of the Father, the compassionate core that is the very center of who he is, may that surprise you again and afresh this week as we move toward the greatest celebration ever and gather again next Sunday to remember and to honor the Savior who came for you, the Savior who lived his life, gave up his life, and took his life back to prove that he's greater than death, he's greater than anything you face, and his hope is what you need. Go in peace, friends.